If you'll open your scriptures to the book of Matthew, please. Matthew 25. We'll spend a few minutes in Matthew 25 today. In the midst of many parables that Jesus told, and that's where we're going to look today, to what's commonly called the parable of the talent. Had been on my mind for a little bit, and I don't know that I'd ever preached on this passage, certainly read it a number of times, but uh, thought it would be appropriate today. Matthew 25, beginning with verse 14 through verse 30 is where we find the parables, so I'll read that and you can follow along. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his servant's ability, and straightway he took his journey. When he had re- then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them the same and made them another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two also gained another two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of the servants cometh and reckoned with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought the other five talents, saying, Lord, thou hast delivered unto me five talents, and behold, I have gained beside them five more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. And also he that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. And he said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou had not sown, and gathering where thou had not strawed. And I was afraid, and went, and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there hast thine talent. And the Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest I reap where I sow not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put the money in the exchangers, and then my coming I should have received my own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath given shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken even away that which he has. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Pray with me for just a minute. Lord, we come to you today. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us through your scriptures. Lord, I ask that you would remove the many distractions that are on our hearts and our minds today. Lord, many things that we are rightfully concerned over. The status of our country and others around the world. The death of a loved one. The impending death of loved ones. But Lord, I ask that you would help us to quiet our hearts and still our minds from all the distractions that go around us today. 
Lord, I ask that you would reveal your truth through this scripture. Lord, that you would allow me to speak what you would have me to. And Lord, that you would work in the hearts of everyone who listens today to receive this and to apply it to their lives. Give them wisdom of how they should act and the strength and courage to do it. In your name we pray. Amen. So again, this is a parable. We see in the first part of this chapter, the parable of the virgins, which is similar, but gives us a little bit different instruction. It's more about spiritual waiting and being watchful. This has more to do with the idea that we're supposed to be active in doing things. And I think the scripture is complete to have both of these things because we are in one sense called upon to be waiting for the Lord to come back, but also not to be uh, not active, that we are to use the things that God has given us to produce more, if you will. And so we call this the parable of the talents. And that word talent is really the idea. It goes back to to, um, the idea that we're weighing something out. It would be Uh, theoretically, a sum of money. So we talk about five talents. It's like five sums of money or two or one. But I think because this is a parable, it's not strictly talking about uh, money in the purest sense of the word. I think it's talking about the, the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given us. And I think God has given us certain things and we need to be mindful of those. Now, I wrote down a list of a few things and I'm going to try and talk about them just for a minute and When you come across one or two that seems to uh, align with what you believe God has given you, the ability and the gifts and the talents to do, then I want you to think about that one. Very likely there are, well, I know there are many I'm not going to list, and so you may come up with one of your own. But as we think about things that God has measured to us, and we'll get to all this in a minute, but I want to make sure I give you some thought before we continue through and look at this whole passage. Perhaps God has given you a special ability to love other people. In fact, I think some of you, that is a gift and a talent that God has given you more than others. Perhaps you have received the gift or the talent of being joyful. Again, none of these things are perfection, but you see where I'm coming from. Perhaps you've been given the talent or the gift or the ability to be a peacemaker. What about wisdom? God says he gives wisdom. He gives it to those who ask and he'll give it liberally. Has God given you a special measure of wisdom that you're supposed to use for his glory? What about patience? What about one that many of you would probably ascribe to teaching? We have some who have been given great gifts of what you might want to call craftsmanship or musical ability. You're able to create and draw beautiful things, to make beautiful music, to make things with your hands. What about discernment? The ability to discern what is true and accurate, to know when you should act and when you shouldn't. Maybe you have a special gift of helping or hospitality, leadership, mercy, Maybe God has entrusted you with being a shepherd or a caretaker over someone. In my case in particular, what about preaching? It may be for somebody else here, I don't know. What about encouragement? 
What about finances? You see, I could go on and on and on, and maybe you're already thinking of something, and maybe you're sitting here and struggling to think of exactly what God has given you as your measure of gift or talent or ability. Even at a young age, we need to begin to discover what these things are so as we can follow along with the proverb and make sure that we use them for His good. So I hope that you've thought of at least one thing. I think God has given us all probably multiple abilities and talents and gifts, but surely as we see at least there's one thing that He has given you. So let's apply that then to what we're seeing here in reading, beginning with verse 14. Let me read that one again because I think it's powerful and we'll look at a few parts of it. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And so with this, I think we can apply the idea that Christ is traveling to a far country with an indeterminate return. We don't know when he's coming back. In fact, that's the lesson we learned in the first half of this chapter, isn't it? That we are to ever be watchful because we do not know when Christ will return. That's true today, as it was yesterday, and theoretically will be true tomorrow, too, unless He does return. But the reality is we have no idea when God will return, and we have no idea when God will call us home to be with Him. But in the meantime, however long that is, whether it's a few months or a few weeks or a few years or a few centuries or a thousand years to come or more, we have with it this idea that God has left us something and we'll want to know what we've done with it when He returns. We have with it this idea that we are His servants, and I struggled with how much to really cover this, but probably another couple of sermons could be talked about this, but it's this idea that we are the, the bond servant as in the willing servant of an almighty God. We are in fact his slaves. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? But if you look at some of the men who authored under the inspiration of the spirit of God, the scriptures, they all consider themselves slaves to Christ. In fact, we even see in Exodus, a system set up whereby even when a servant is freed, they could say, well, I love my master and I want to stay with them and voluntarily commit their lives to serving their master. I think that same idea is what is being expressed here. That we have voluntarily committed our lives to serving our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I also want to point out a few other things at the beginning. I, I listed off some things that might seem uh, like things that we can do, wisdom, leadership, mercy, encouragement, discernment, peace and joy and love and all these things. Where do they all come from? From God. You see, what didn't happen was Jesus Christ left and said, I'm going away and I want you to have something ready for when I come back. No, he gave us something. He entrusted us with something and expected something in return when he comes. We, it's very easy for us to get this idea that somehow it's me who makes this, right? That somehow I'm responsible for my destiny and I can do these things. And if I need to be a better leader, then I can read a couple of books about it and become a better leader. Maybe. Maybe that can help you. But if God has given you the gift of leadership, for example, that's a gift that God gave you. If he's given you peace, then that's something God has given you. 
It's very easy for us to get very self-centered to think that this is something that we do, but rather God gives us things and tells us to take care over them. Well, what types of things does God give to us? Well, the types of things that aren't necessarily physical. You'll notice most of the lists that I gave you are not things that are physical. Why is that? Because God isn't physical. God gives the things that are part of Him. And what is His nature? Love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-respect, knowledge and so on and so on and so on. God gives us a part of who and what He is and asks us to invest it. And sometimes that results in physical things. Sometimes we are given positions and titles and jobs and finances and money and houses and churches and buildings and possessions. And we have to manage those things well, but those aren't the initial cause of the gift. They are the result of the gift. Do you see the difference? So our talents may lead to physical things, but in reality, I think the things that he gives are part of his own, delivered them his goods, and his goods are not by nature necessarily physical. Remember, he gives them. They're on loan, if you will. And we will give them back in honor of him. We also see in verse 15 something very peculiar. He gives each according to his ability. That's how the English Standard Version translates it. We hear this common phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. I don't know that I always agree with that in some ways. But in this way that I do. God gives you a talent, a gift, an ability and asks you to use it because he knows that you can. Doesn't mean it will be easy. Doesn't mean it will be always enjoyable. But he is gifting you what you're able to have. And we saw that when we read the rest of the verse. And unto one, let me read uh, verse 15. Unto one he gave five talents, another two, and another one. To every man according to his several abilities. And straightway he took his journey. Let me read verse 15 again and see if you can catch where I'm going to add something. You ready? This is a fun exercise. And unto everyone he gave five talents, unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several abilities. And straightway there arose jealousy and envy over the type and number of talents distributed among the people. Yeah, I added that part. But does that sound like it could be true? Absolutely. How many times have you looked at another brother or sister in Christ and wished you had their gift? How many times maybe you had the same gift, but one had more of it than you did, and you wished that you had it? How many times have jealousy and envy risen even among believers inside the church over this? I was warned very early on from very wise people, don't try and be like another preacher. Be whatever God wants you to be. There's some preachers I'm very glad I'm not like. <laughs> There's others who are far better than me in their own right. And that's the way it is. I don't try to be like them. I try and be what God gave me. 
But how easy is it for us to look at what someone else does and wish we were like them? Oh, I just wish I had that house or that money or that position or three more positions above them. Why is it unfair that I have only this when they have that? And so on and so forth. And begin, we are jealous and envious of each other. We begin to claw and fight with each other. It is not to be so. God gives us what He gives us and expects us to use it, and He gives it to us in the measure with which that we can use it. And as we see, there's an opportunity here. If we are successful, He'll give us more. So let's make sure that we are not coveting others' gifts or talents or abilities. Let us ask instead this other question. If God has not given you more than what you think you should have, is it because you can't handle it? If God hasn't given you as much of one talent or gift or ability as you think you deserve or think you want to, is it because you would have squandered it? We must be careful not to argue with God about what he's given us. Do you think there's days I don't want to preach? Absolutely. Are there days some of you don't want to teach? (coughs) Are there days some of you don't want to finance? Are there days some of you don't want to create? Are there days some of you don't want to be patient? Sure. All these things and more are true. But God has given us a talent. I kind of indicated this earlier, but I want to make sure I make this clear. It might be easy for us to assume here, and you could assume this just as easily as anything else, that there were five measures of something and that these were five different things that the one man got. So maybe he got love and hope and peace and finance and administration. Or maybe he got love, 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 and love. Five measures of the same talent. I don't know. It doesn't matter. You could have just one, and you could have one measure. You could have two measures of love and administration and, you know, go on and on. The the point is this. God is going to give you what you need and what he wants you to have for the glory of his kingdom. And it is our responsibility to then take that and use that appropriately. Look at verse 16. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with them the same, And made them another five talents. Your translation might expound on this a little bit more, and rightfully so. Uh, It might indicate that he went at once or immediately. That urgency is implied in the way it was originally written. He didn't wait, he went immediately to do the things that God, his Lord, had instructed him to do. And he did. Your translation might read, did business with them or put them to work. Or the best one I liked so far when I looked at all these different translations was, was busy with them. Are you busy with the talents that God has given you? Have you gone immediately to put them to work? Or have you put them on a shelf somewhere and I'll wait when it's convenient? I'll be patient when I have time to be patient. I'll, I'll do this when, whenever 
I'm clear of everything else? Or have you gone to work immediately with what God has given you? But the implication here is that he immediately went and he put to work the things that his Lord had given him to do. I hope we haven't waited too long. Because the implication is you never know when the Lord will come back and demand to know what you did with your talents. The man who was given two talents implies, it says likewise, or implies the same thing. He went in the same manner and was busy with what God had given him to do. He went immediately and was busy. And now let's talk about the man who got one talent. The man who got only the one. Quite the dramatic pause. <laughs> the man who got only one talent. Nobody need to be paying attention. <laughs> Y'all remember that Sunday we preached like half the service while it was dark? That's a few years ago. I want you to notice a few things about the one who got the, the man who got the one talent. Um, but when he received the one, he went and digged in the earth and hid the Lord's money. Let me add something else here that's not in the scripture, okay? Just so you're, if you're following along, you're confused here. It doesn't say that he went and squandered it. He didn't go and waste it counterproductive to what the Lord wanted. He could have gone out and he could have done, well, let's just make this modern. He could have gone out and he could have gambled it away. He could have gone out and uh, used it on, uh, on drugs or something. He could have gone out and given it to somebody who didn't deserve it. He could have lost it. This one man, while we look at him and we think, as you'll see, if you've heard me read it already once, but as you'll, we'll see when we go on, um, he, it wasn't like he did anything negative with it. He just didn't do anything at all. You catch that? Keep that in mind. It's not just that he went and used it for sin. The sin was the fact that he didn't use it at all. Very, very important here. He wasn't dishonest. He didn't squander. In fact, he kept it safe. But he was still disobedient. He was still disobedient. So listen to me, young and old alike. God has given you talents, gifts, and abilities. And if you are not actively using them for His glory then you are actively being disobedient. You cannot come to God and say, well, at least I didn't do that. God wants you to be active and using the gifts and talents and abilities that he gave you. He does not want you to bury your gift in the ground, which is what that servant did. And then we see, or I'll point out, there's a pause in the story. 
In verse 19, we pick back up. After a long time, the Lord of those servants come and reckon with them. Wants to know what's happened. How long? We don't know. A long time. When will God come back? I don't know. As I said, it could be a long time. It could be a short time. It's an indeterminate amount of time. We do not know when God will come and demand of us what is his, not ours. We must be ready. And when he comes, he's going to demand an accounting of what you've done. What have you done so far with the talent that God has given you? And since it was pointed out this morning, we have lots of younger folks with us, college and down. I don't think there's any age here in which you are not accountable for this. Even as a young person, if God has given you a gift or a talent or ability, you need to use it. We have this horrible thing that we've developed in the last 50 or 60 years called like teenagers. It doesn't exist. We even call you college kids. What an insult. You're not children. You're grown adults. And even if you are children younger than college, God has given you gifts and talents and abilities and you're required to use them. So don't think there comes a point later in life where I can put this off until later. No. If God has told you to be loving and merciful to others, you need to do that. If He's told you to be an encourager, then you need to be about God's business and encourage. If God has told you to take special care over your finances, then you need to be about that even at a young age. Whatever God has told you to do, whether young or whether old, you're never too young and never too old to be doing what God has told you to do. Now to the older ones. You don't get to retire from serving God. That doesn't exist. You can retire from your earthly job, but you will never get to retire from the service of the Lord. Ever. That may change. It may look different than it used to. It may not be as fast-paced as it once was, but you never get to quit. Just like we have too many young people today who don't want to get started, we have too many olders who want to quit. And it ought not to be the case. So now that I've offended everyone, we'll continue on. After a long time, the Lord of those servants come and reckon with them. And so that he had received five talents, came and brought the five talents, and said to the Lord, you gave me five, and here's five more. The devil that Notice what God said to him. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Can you think of anything better? And God coming back and looking at you and saying, Well done good and faithful servant. You've handled a few things well. I'm going to give you the kingdom. You want God to tell you that? Seriously, think about it. 
Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Then comes the man with two. He had also doubled it. And the Lord tells him the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Notice what God praises him for. They were good and faithful. Faithful. This is a proverb. So we must read it as such. And what if the one who had two had only made one and a half back? I think he'd still been good and faithful. Does that make sense? It's not about so much the increase as it is the good and faithfulness. Many of you have experienced times in your life when you're not doubling the gift that God gives you. And sometimes that's through no fault of your own. Are you still being good and faithful? Are you still trying? What a privilege. And who knows what awaits us. We're not all given the same gifts, the same talents, and the same abilities, and the same levels. But God expects us all to be good and faithful with them. We must be diligent. And if we are diligent with what he gives us, I believe we will be rewarded. Now let's talk just for a minute about this last one. Verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where you have not straw. This idea that God is unfaithful and unjust. Let me read you a loose translation of this. I knew thou wast one whom it was impossible to serve, one whom nothing would please, exacting what was impractical, and dissatisfied with what was attainable. I think sometimes we fail to realize that there are examples in scriptures that we should not be, and this is one of them. Because what this servant is doing, he was not faithful, he was not good, and in fact he is accusing God of certain things that are untrue. Did this servant know his master? And I mean this in the deepest Spiritual sense. Did he know God? I think the answer is no. Because to know God is to know that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. To know God is to know that he doesn't operate this way. To know God is to know that when God gives you something to do, you have the ability to do it and he expects you to do it. He doesn't, give, he doesn't demand of you something that you don't have the ability to do. He doesn't require of you of something you can't do. And here, I think this servant is blaming God for his own failure. You ever heard someone do that before? I've heard people do it with church. How many people do you know, have you heard, who tell you the one time, or maybe there was multiple times, whatever, they give you a pity story about how this one time they were offended at church, and they never go back to church again. Who's at fault here? They are. Who are they blaming? God. Who's at fault in this situation? The servant who had one talent, who buried it. 
And what's he doing? He's blaming God for his disobedience. That is not a very wise thing to do. But how many times do we do it? How often do we stand before God and blame Him? How often do we call God hard, harsh, unjust, cruel, demanding, and difficult to please? I have another quote I wrote down. Sinners regard God not as He is, but according to their own perverted view, reading their own character into their conception of Him and laying blame of their own failure on God. Let me read that again. Sinners regard God not as He is, but according to their own perverted views, reading their own character into their conceptions of Him and laying blame of their own failure on God. Let me give you an example of this. How could a loving God allow fill in the blank? A failure to understand God and a failure to know Him, we then twist into an accusation that is improper of Him. To know God is to know He's not unjust. To know God is to know that He's not demanding of something He doesn't give you the ability to do. To know God is to know that He loves you and cares for you and wants the best for you. Whether it feels like it or not. And so what happened is this servant had an improper, wrong view of God and it led to disobedience. See, I don't disbelieve the servant was afraid, but the servant was afraid improperly. See, that's the difference. I don't think this servant really knew God. That might have been why God gave him one serving of whatever it was. The Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sow not, and gather where I have not strawed. Wicked. You could almost translate that as mean-spirited. Why was it mean-spirited? Because he had the wrong opinion of the master. Slothful. Ooh, lazy. Lazy, lazy, lazy. Are you lazy? Careful how you answer the question. Are you lazy? Have you gone out immediately to cultivate the gifts that God has given you? Have you worked to enhance your kindness, your love, your compassion, your artistry, your ability to manage, your teaching? Have you seen results in any of this? Listen, teachers, because like half the church is teachers. Are you a better teacher than you were a few years ago? Are you a better artist than you were a few years ago? Are you more patient if that was your gift? Are you more loving? Am I a better preacher? Don't answer that one. Think about it. 
That's why I wanted to give you this list at the beginning, because I wanted you to think about some of the talents and gifts that God has given you. And now as we come to a close, I want you to think about, have you used and invested those immediately? And have you been actively at work to enhance those things? Are they better than what they were before? And if not, why? Have you been lazy? Or do you have the wrong view of God? The last half of verse 26 really should have a question mark at the end. Perhaps your version does. The implication is not that the servant is correct about God. The implication is the master is saying this in reply. So let me kind of read it that way. Thou knowest that I reap where I sow not, and gather where I have not sowed? Question mark. Then you oughtest to at least put it in the bank and got some interest. If this is really true about me, God says, then you would have been at least better off to put it in the bank and gotten a little bit of interest for it. You would have been better off to have used it somehow, to have gotten some benefit out of it rather than hiding it in a hole. If you really think this way about me as God, if you really think that I am harsh and demanding and I'm going to take more than I ever give and I don't give you the ability to do the things that you ought to do, then you should have at least been cautionary, not just hidden it in a hole. And so the master cuts the servant off very quickly with this question and this demand. And then we see the result. Take forth the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For everyone that has shall be given and have an abundance. But him that has not shall be taken away, even that which he has. Listen, brothers and sisters, the most horrible thing we could ever do is have the gift that God gave us hidden, and then taken away. God wants the gifts and the talents and abilities that He's given you used. That's why He gave them to you. Failure to use them or abuse of them may result in losing them. I've heard stories. Maybe some of the most common ones we've heard about is money. Failure to use and account for money wisely and properly and people... We'll lose it. But don't think that doesn't occur for preaching or for patience or for love or for teaching or for mercy or for wisdom. We must be careful. And for those of you who've done well, you might get more. Will it be up beyond your ability? Apparently not. So if you feel like God has given you more than you can handle, these are the good gifts that He's given you. Apparently He wouldn't give it to you if He didn't think you could handle it. And that means that at those moments when you feel like it's too much, you should be slightly encouraged to know that He thinks of you well enough to give it to you. Luke 12 and 48 says, Everyone to whom much was given... Of him much will be required. And from him whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. If God has given you a large quantity of different talents and abilities, or maybe only one or two different ones, but a lot of it, God demands a lot from you. 
Then verse 29, I'm sorry, verse 30. And cast you out the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I can't get away from the fact that this is talking about hell. And it seems obvious. It starts with a proverb, this is the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean? That's why I said I don't think this servant really knew God. There's a lot of people in this world who don't really know God. There's people in this room who don't really know God. And there will come a point when the master will return and demand an account of what you did for him. And if you stand before him and accuse him and have squandered your life that he so graciously paid for, you will be punished. Now notice, let's go back a few verses. What did I say this man did? It wasn't that he lived in sin. Remember? It was just that he wasn't obedient. These things, this increase that God gives, this increase that you can have, the doubling of your talents and so on and so forth, is evidence of a life changed by God and a reward, not what gets you into heaven. I want to make that very clear. It's not because one man doubled or two men doubled that they, they earned their way into heaven. That was the reward for a life well lived. But the reward for standing before an almighty God and failing to know who he really is and then accusing him for something that he is not and failing to use your gifts and abilities, what does that tell us? That tells us that that person doesn't know God, doesn't love God, doesn't follow and walk according to him, doesn't really, has not really put their faith in him. And the reward for that type of behavior is what? Eternal separation as opposed to an eternal reward. And so as I end almost every single sermon, because it's almost always applicable to two groups of people, because there are and only are and only ever will be two groups of people. Those who have loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind and put their faith in Him and have received forgiveness for their sins and are therefore given talents and gifts and abilities and told to go and be profitable with them immediately. And everyone else who was disobedient to God, who has never loved him the first time, has never been known by him and doesn't know him. And even though God has given you some gifts and talents, you squander them, you dig them in a hole, you do everything you can. You are in not obedient. You are not obedient to God. You are wasting your entire lives. And when God comes and asks you to give an account and you stand before him and say, well, it wasn't fair, or I didn't know, or how could I possibly have done this? Or I thought you were doing this. He will say to you, depart from me. I don't know which one you're in. God doesn't give me that ability. I can look at your lives and see the fruit that you bear. But I can't look inside you. And so I don't know whether today you're realizing that maybe, maybe you are a servant of the Almighty God and He's given you great gifts and great talents and great abilities and maybe you've gotten just a shade lazy. 
Maybe you thought you've retired. Maybe you thought you've not matured enough yet to begin using these gifts and talents and abilities. You better get started because you don't know when he's coming. Maybe you're not actively involved in a grievous sin. You're not a horrible person by the world's standards. I mean, look, you're in church, right? How bad could it be? But the reality is you're disobedient because you don't know him. If you find yourself in that position, you must do something to fix it. You can come here every Sunday and leave feeling bad. That doesn't fix a thing. You can come here every Sunday or listen to preaching. You can listen to other people. You can read your own Bible and feel sorry. That doesn't cut it either. At some point in your life, God will convict you. What does that mean? He will lay and you will feel the heavy burden of the fact that you are standing before an almighty God and saying, I was afraid it wasn't fair. And when he lays on you the fact that he is fair and he is holy and that what's not right is you. And until you come to that realization and you fall either physically or metaphorically to your knees and beg him for forgiveness and put your faith in him and he picks you up and says, my child, welcome home. You're the unfaithful servant who has and will continue to squander the gifts that God has given you. And at some point when he comes and demands of you to give an account, instead of saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant, he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. What are you going to do about it? Let's have a hymn, a time for you trying to change my ways, to be obedient. Not a time for you to sit and ponder. Not a time for you to wish someone else would do something, but a time for you to do what God is telling you to do. Maybe you need to talk to God and tell him, okay, I'll start using my talents more. Thank you. Maybe you need to go to God and pray. Say, God, I don't know you, but I want to. Whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, you need to be like the first two servants and to immediately be obedient. Because that is the only way.